0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. I want to welcome everyone in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're here with us today, if you're visiting, or if you're online, welcome. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus be with you. We are a church that's being transformed in the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God. And we do that in three ways. We do that by gathering together, like we do this morning, in the name of the Father, by growing into the image of His Son, and by going in the power of His Spirit. And as John mentioned earlier today, or this morning, that we're in the year of gather. And so Brett and I, we want to begin a sermon series this morning titled, Scattered and Gathered the People of God. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. The word of the Lord, it says this. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle. And over the wild animals of the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humankind in His image, and the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Let's pray. God we give you thanks. We give you thanks always for your word. for you created the world by your word, you sustain it by your word, and our life depends, not on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of your mouth. And so this morning, as always, we pray for ears to hear your word. And not only that, but hearts that will follow, and lives and bodies that will obey. And God, I ask for the gift of preaching. For we pray in the name of your word to us, Jesus. Amen. There's an old game, probably as old as time, it seems like, the game of Jacks. Anybody ever played the game of Jacks? All the young people are like, what are you talking about, Ben? All the old, older people. know the game of jacks. It involves these little spiky things, they're not really spiky, but you have these, these spiky things in a ball, and there's ten of them, and what you do is you scatter the jacks out on a flat surface, and then you take the ball in one hand, you throw the ball up, and there are variations of the game, but in round one you throw the ball up, you grab a jack, and you have to catch the ball before it bounces again, right? Throw it up, it bounces and you gotta catch it before it bounces again. Then around two, you gotta throw it up, you've got to grab two jacks. Right? There's variations about and you win the game by then getting to ten and getting all the jacks, right? And then you lose a turn, it goes to the next person if you throw it up, and you can't grab the jacks before it bounces twice. And the rhythm of this game goes something like this: Scatter the jacks. Gather the jacks. Scatter. You gather, scatter, you gather. The story of Scripture has been summarized in many ways. The rhythm of Scripture has been summarized maybe in this way, from creation to new creation. Maybe from the glory of God to the glory of God at the end in Revelation. Revelation. Or maybe it's just the beginning, which is Genesis, and then the end. But one of the ways that we can summarize or give an overview to the rhythm of Scripture is the movement of scatter and gather. See, God's intentions from the very beginning involve at least three things. The first thing is God created us to be in his image in the world. And so Genesis 1, 27 says this. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God he created them. Male and f- female he created them. So one God's intention is. Is that you and I are to be his image bearers in the world. That's part of God's intention. But the second thing that God intends. We find in verse 26. It says this. It says then God said let us make humankind our image according to our, his likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals in, in, in on the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So what the implication of that, on, on one level, is that he created us for a relationship. He created us with relationship for himself, one another, and with his creation. We experience that, I think, all the time. And so we see this in the beginning that God creates us for a relationship with creation to have dominion or care or to bless the earth. And at the same time, he creates us for a relationship with one another. And he walks with us in the garden. But God never intended for humans to remain in the garden. It was never God's intention that you and I remain in the garden. And we know that because in Genesis 1, 28, it says this. It says that God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over it the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air. Every living thing that moves on the ground. So God creates us in his image. He creates us for relationship with himself and others and creation. But his intention is not that we remain in the garden. Because he says he blesses us and he says to each one of, he says to Adam and Eve, he says be fruitful and multiply. And my intention is That you fill the earth. That creation's story begins with a scattering. Because God's intention is this. That he creates humanity in his image. And then he intends to scatter that image throughout the world. In order for that image, that representative image to have dominion, to rule over. In other words, to care for the world as God would care for the world. To bless the world through his image, which are human beings. The story begins with the scattering. But this scattering is not so straightforward. It doesn't come how you think it would come. Because he tells them to multiply and fill the earth... But they don't leave immediately. and how, In fact, how they leave and how they're scattered is actually kind of ironic and it's kind of strange. Because you go on in chapter 3 and the next story you have, which we know very well, is the story of Adam and Eve and the, the story that we call the fall. And God says to Adam and Eve, you can eat of any fruit, any, uh, any, if any fruit of the tree, but you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, one of the things that this story reveals is that Adam and Eve are deceived here. Because the serpent comes along and the serpent says, Did God really tell you that? And then he begins convincing them. And by the way, you can't look and blame Adam and Eve. I mean, you can, but you probably have done the same thing because he says, Hey, look, look at this fruit, it's good for food about this time of day, who's not thinking about food? Am I right? You see a good piece of fruit or some good food? Why not? But then he also says this, it's good for wisdom. And we know from Scripture that wisdom is not a bad thing, it's actually a good thing. We actually have books in the Bible about wisdom. And that wisdom is really important to God. And then finally he says, if you eat this fruit... Your eyes will be open, and you will become like God. And I would imagine on some level, each one of you are here, because on some level, you want to become like God. Not God, become God, but grow into the image of God. I mean, you were created in his image. You're intended to be the image bearers. And so to eat this fruit would be an image bearing thing to become more like God. We talk about this all the time. So in some ways you can't blame Adam and Eve for this. They were deceived. And this is a story not only just about humanity and God, but about humanity's relationship with creation. What are they going to do with creation? And in the end, Adam and Eve, they eat. It says their eyes were opened. And God begins looking for them. And what's interesting about this story is this. That once God actually has a conversation with them and discovers what actually happened, the ironic thing about the beginning of this book, when God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, that the way they begin to actually fill the earth is that God sends them out of the garden. That's part of the consequence of eating that fruit. They're scattered out of the garden. But another consequence of eating this fruit is that in their humanity's relationship with the created world, All of a sudden, they turn around and they realize that they are naked. What's ironic about this story is that they feel shamed. They feel shame about their creatureliness. This is a story, at least in part, about the relationship with creation. And what's ironic about in the end is that they feel shame about their createdness. They feel shame about that. And so God in all of his goodness, and all of his grace, he turns around and one of his first acts is to clothe them. It's to cover their shame. So that their tarnished image of God, they wouldn't have to fin- feel the shame of that. And they're scattered. So as they're scattered, the next story we get is the one about Cain and Abel. And this is a story. The first, well, the first story is about humanity's relationship with creation. The next story is about humanity's relationship with each other. And of course, we know the story. Cain is firstborn, and Abel's second. That Cain tills the ground, and that Abel. Is a shepherd. And they bring their offerings to God, and Abel brings his offering of like the fattened sheep or the calf to God. And Cain brings those first fruits, like vegetables or fruit from the soil to God. And for whatever reason, God prefers Abel's offering over Cain's. Well, Cain, as you can imagine, is pretty disappointed about this. But he's more than disappointed. He's actually quite upset about it. And so God comes to Cain and he says, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And that's God's warning to Cain, but immediately the story moves on and Cain lures his brother Abel out into a field and he kills him. As I always like to say, the story just ramps up. It goes from eating to murder. Hollywood's got nothing on scripture. And so, God comes to Cain. He says, What have you done? Abel's blood cries out. And what's the consequence? He scatters Cain. See, God commanded be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And he scatters Adam and Eve out of the garden after they eat. And after Cain kills Abel, he scatters Cain. But Cain, there's a problem. Cain is afraid. Because of all those people, we don't know where all those people come from. But there's all those people over there. And he says, yeah, but if I go over there, they don't know me. And what he's afraid of is that he's afraid those people will do to him what he did to his brother. Because if he can do that to his brother, what can someone do that you don't even know? And so in the midst of his fear, God has power over his fear. And he puts a mark on him to protect him. that's God's grace. And so by the end of that story, he scatters Cain. Then we jump ahead and it gets to the whole world. And what it says in the story of the flood narrative is this. That every desire of the human heart was evil. This is a story not only about our relationship with God and with creation, and with others, but includes everything. That it seems like everything's ramped up in this story to where everything that they think about and everything that they want is actually at the opposite end of what God wants. It's actually at the opposite end and contrary to the image of God. And so, It's a story, another story of a scattering. Except this time, God scatters them from the earth. In fact, this story is really a story about God getting so fed up with it. That he says, I've had it. I'm starting all over again. Because if you read in Genesis chapter 1, it says the earth, that the spirit of God was hovering over the waters of the deep. that The whole earth was covered in water. Remember that from Genesis 1, right from the beginning? So what does God do? He takes it all back to the beginning. He takes it back to the way it was in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And he starts all over again. And humanity's guilt threatens their existence... But God's grace shows up again. It shows up in the person of Noah and his family. He shows his forgiveness and gives humanity a new beginning through Noah and his family. And then watch this. In Genesis chapter 9, the end of verse 6 and 7, it says this. It repeats what it said at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. It says, in in his own image, God made humankind. And then he says to to Noah and his family, and you, be fruitful and multiply, abound on the earth and multiply in it. So God not only reiterates that you and I are made in his image, but he reiterates the fact that he wants his image to be scattered throughout the world and to fill it. God scatters his image throughout the world through his people. That's what God does. And God's intention from the very beginning is for human beings, for you and I, to be his image bearers in the world and for that image to scatter throughout the world. That image in relationship to him That image and how we bear that in relationship to one another and in creation is that you are to be a blessing to creation, that God is going to bless all of the earth, all of creation through his image. But then we move out of that narrative into chapter 11. And in chapter 11 it says, now the the whole world had one language and one common speech. And as all people, as the people moved eastward, they found the plain in Shinar and they settled there. And they said, hey, come on, let's make bricks and let's build a tower. And they actually say this, so that we are not scattered all over the place. Humans have this desire. To gather. We have this innate desire to gather together. I mean, I know there are some of you in here that uh, maybe are more introverted, or you like your alone time, you like to be alone, but there's something about human nature that wants us to gather together. To be together. To be around other human beings I mean, no better example of this than, you see, we're still building cities today. My assumption is if you're here, you live in the city or close to the city, you gather around other people. There's lots of practical advantages to that. But there's also deep spiritual things. I think that's partly how we're hardwired. We're created to be together. And God even recognizes this. He says, when he creates Adam, he recognizes there's no suitable partner, and so he says this, it is not good for Adam to be alone. That human beings need to be together with other human beings. And so to gather into community is part of what it means to be made in the image of God because as we know, as we believe, part of God's image is holy communion. We can't explain it, but we do acknowledge that he's God the Father, God the Son, God, uh, God the Spirit. One God, three persons, perfect communion. That the very nature of God is to be gathered together in communion. And so it's not just you as an individual... That is in the image of God. That when we are gathered together, this is an image. This is image bearing of who God is and what his image is intended for in the world. But in this story, when they gather together to build this big tower, here's the problem. It goes against God's desire for them to scatter. And take his image through the world. And it also does this. They want to gather, which is a right instinct, I think, for them to do. But they don't want to gather for God's image. They want to gather for their own image. So that they can make a name for themselves. So it says, in order to scatter them, that God confuses their language. And then in Genesis eleven, eight 8 and 9, it says this. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth. And they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. But the confusion continues, as God scatters them throughout the world, the confusion continues in this narrative. Because in each scattering, there's always a grace. So in Adam and Eve, he covers their shame with clothes. In Cain's case, Cain fears for his life and God protects him. And in humanity's guilt, he offers forgiveness and newness through Noah. But in this Tower of Babel story, there is no immediate grace that just appears. In fact, there's this long section, long, boring section that we never read, which is this long genealogy. And at the end of that genealogy, do you know what name shows up? Abram. Because at the end of this story when they gather together because they've been scattered and they don't want to scatter anymore but they're gathering together in order to make a name for themselves their own image instead of God's image. God scatters them by confusing their languages. And the grace to the story is this, Abram. And Abram is the beginning of the rest of the story. Because God gathers His people in order to bless the whole world through His image. Abram is the beginning of the rest of the story of how we get to Jesus. And God gathers us, all His people, in Jesus so that the image of His Son might bless the entire world. This is the year of gathering. And we believe that God gathers His people in order to bless the whole world through His image, the image of His Son. Would you stand and praise the image of God His Son, Jesus Christ.